Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, now we submit this time into your hands, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God, on the message that you have laid on my heart. Lord, please, God, make your word come alive. May we not just be hearers, but may we apply your word. Life change only happens when we apply your word. So, Father, help us today not just to hear your word, but to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I pastored down in Charlotte years ago, I pastored a little church in Charlotte, and um, a, a mother, a husband and wife, mother and father came to me, and they had a little bitty newborn named Jordan. His name was Jordan Gagne, never forget this. And they came to me and said, Jordan uh, is not doing well. He's not gaining weight. He should be gaining weight. He's not gaining weight. We've taken him to doctors, and we don't know what to do. We're about to go back to another doctor's appointment. Please pray for little Jordan. So I remember praying for Jordan in my office, uh, and uh, then they came back about five days later and said, he was given the diagnosis, failure to thrive syndrome. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know what that meant. But basically what failure to thrive syndrome is when a baby, a newborn, uh, is not receiving the nutrients from its mother that it needs in order to grow. And this little baby looked very emaciated, looked very weak, very frail. And I remember looking and even holding that little baby in my hand, hands, and we prayed again for that little baby for that baby to be healed. Well, the good news of the story is that God healed that baby. And uh, years later, after I had left uh, the Indian Trail area and uh, moved on in my life to other ministry, uh, the family contacted me and said, Jordan is doing great, and he's growing like a weed, and he's doing wonderful. But you know, that failure to thrive syndrome just never left my mind because I wonder... You know, how do believers measure spiritual growth? Uh, how many of your mothers and fathers used to stand you along the closet door and do the mark on the door to measure how tall you were getting? If you've had that happen, raise your hand. Almost everybody. I mean, I remember with my own kids marking, and man, they were so proud. We'd come back six months, seven months later, and, and my oldest is Holly. She's the tallest of my girls, and Holly, Holly would back up that little door frame, and we'd mark it, and she'd turn around, and she'd see how much she's grown, and she'd get so excited. But how do you measure spiritual growth? I mean, physical growth can be seen in size, and there's certain marks of spiritual growth. You know, if you go to the fair, the Mountain State Fair or any fair, there's usually these barkers out uh, trying to get you to come over. They want to guess your age. Uh, and some even try to guess your weight. None of the women are in that line or in that, that one, uh, but uh, they're trying to guess your age. And so my brother, I have a brother, Joe, who actually graduated from Fruitland, and in his younger years, he used to have what we call a baby face. And, man, he'd always win a teddy bear or something when they tried to guess his age because they, they were off every time. He just had a baby face. And uh, those people tried to guess. And what they would do is they would look at you, and we all carry signs of physical age. For example, if I were to tell you this morning that I'm 18 years old. <laughs> Jonathan. I'm highly offended. If I were to say to you I'm 18, you would get this result... Uh, we would laugh because I don't have the signs of a teenager anymore. I used to have the signs of being a teenager. 
But now, a little more portly, a little bit more portly, teeth a little bit more yellow, gray coming in, creeping in. I've got signs of age. I have more signs that I'm in my 50s than I am a teenager. You don't have to amen that. But the signs of physical age can be seen visibly in our shape, in our maturity, in our size. But what is the measurement for spiritual maturity? If I were to ask you, how old are you spiritually? Not how old are you in the Lord, because we usually say, well, I've been saved for 40 years. No, but how old are you spiritually? What are the marks of spiritual maturity? I love what the Word of God has to say about spiritual maturity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, that God's ultimate purpose for us is to grow up in Christ, that we may grow up in all things into Him, being Christ. God's ultimate purpose in our life is to conform Christ in you. So for you to mature spiritually, the measuring rod isn't little marks on a closet door. The measuring rod is how much of Christ is living his life, how much is Christ living his life through you? How much do people see Jesus in your areas of attitude and action of your life? How much do people see Christ in what you do and how you say and how you respond to a problem or how you respond to an attack? How do people see or how much do people see Christ in you? Uh, I love the New Living Translation with 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, as the Spirit of God works in us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory. Now, I love that verse in the NLT for this reason. It says that we become more and more, which speaks of a process. The process of growing spiritually isn't something that takes place overnight. Now, your justification in Christ was instantaneous. The moment you believed in Jesus, you were saved. But the sanctification of the Christian, the, the growing in Christ, is a process that takes a lifetime. This verse says that we grow up in Him. We become more and more like Him and reflect His glory. Philippians 2.5 in the NIV says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus's attitude. If you're not sure what his attitude was, just read Philippians 2. It will give you a good description of the attitude of Christ. And so I wonder how many of God's children have failure to thrive syndrome. How do we even know if we're growing spiritually? And if we are growing to what level of maturity have we reached or should we be striving to achieve in our growth for Christ? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, take them and turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, when I was a boy, a teenage boy, I got saved. And uh, it was real popular to have a life verse. Uh, now, this newer generation, I don't know if they're doing it or not, but I remember uh, you just had to have a life verse when I was a teenager. And uh, I had a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, and a uh, great study Bible, by the way. And I had a, a missionary friend of mine, um, 
put my name in gold on the front. And underneath my name, he said, what's your life verse? I didn't even know what that was. I thought, oh my goodness, I, haven't, I don't have a life verse. What, what's that mean? And then he explained to me, it's a verse that really means a lot to you. And so I came up with this life verse of Romans 8.28. In fact, many people probably in the room have that verse. as a very special verse to you. But Romans chapter 8, verse 28 became my life verse. And uh, we all could probably say it by heart. We could quote it by heart. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good for those that love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so that kind of became my life verse. And I was able to quote uh, Romans 8.28 just at the drop of a hat and uh, tell people that that was my life verse. But you know what? It took a while for me to fully understand what Romans 8.28 was saying. <laughs> because I always put myself at the center of Romans 8.28. All things work together for my good. Uh, and my good was the center of what God was up to. But if you read Romans 8.28, it says something entirely different. It says that we know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life, really helped me to understand this passage and the very next verse helped me to understand it a lot more thoroughly. Because I always read Romans 8.28 as if everything was working out for my good. In relation to that God was my servant and he was trying to help me have a comfortable life. So when something bad would happen, I said, well, everything's working out for the good. God's going to make it turn it around for good. And basically what that verse is telling us is that God is working it out for his good according to his purpose. You say, well, what is his purpose? Well, read verse 29. Look at your Bibles at verse 29. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So this verse tells us that God is saving us and sanctifying us in order to conform us to the image of of his son. Now I understand why God lets bad things happen in my life. God doesn't cause all the bad things that happen in my life, but God allows things to happen in my life that are not good, that are painful. Because God is trying to mature in me, Christ. You see, God, this is a worn quote. God is not concerned with your comfort as much as he is concerned with your Christ-like character and your Christ-like conformity. In fact, I would say God works best, I'll speak for myself, God works best in times of distress in my life spiritually. Now, I squirm and I wiggle and I don't like it. I want to get out of it. And I complain and I run from problems. I don't run to problems. But I understand now that Romans 8.28 says, For all things, all things, all things, not just good things, but all things work together for the good of God in me, which is Christ. So, if God will conform Christ in me, then I must be willing to endure not just the good things, but to endure and surrender to Christ in the difficult 
things. God's ultimate goal is not our comfort, as I said. It's being conformed to the image of Christ. And you know, God is a parent. He's our Heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus called him Abba, our Daddy, our Father. And God, as a father, desires what every parent desires. God desires for his children to grow up. How many times did I hear my mom say that over the back seat? You all grow up. <laughs> Act your age. My mama was lethal with her purse. She could swing that purse. I mean, she could nail me with that purse while she's driving. I mean, she could be driving and she could nail me. I'd be fighting with my sister in the back seat. And after she did the statement, y'all grow up, the next thing was the purse. And uh, she would hit us and say, now y'all straighten up and stop fighting. Act your age. But God, sometimes I wonder if God doesn't say to his children, grow up. Grow up in Christ. There's no excuse for a believer in Jesus Christ not to grow spiritually. We even have the indwelt spirit of God in us. We have the word of God right here before us. There's no excuse for us not to grow in Christ. God will put us in certain circumstances and situations that are painful. Painful. In order to bring Christ was Jesus ever in painful situations? I guarantee you in Gethsemane, when Judas came and he kissed Jesus, one of his 12, one of his 12, he kissed Jesus on the cheek to identify Jesus to the guards, the soldiers. And Jesus says, you betray the Son of Man, with a kiss, Judas. I think it hurt Jesus. He said, wait a minute, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Superman. He was fully God and fully man. The same Jesus who wept at Lazarus' grave was the same Jesus who felt the betrayal of Judas in Gethsemane that night. You betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss. You see... In order for us to understand why God allows pain in our life, we've got to see that God allowed pain in the life of His Son. If we're being conformed to the image of Christ, we can see that God actually uses negative situations to bring out of us His will. Let me give you an example. We're commanded by the Lord to love our enemies. That's a sweet verse. I mean, we can quote it. Love your enemies. We could teach it to our children in VBS. But let me tell you what. Quoting a verse to love your enemy and loving an enemy is two different things. You see, first of all, God's got to allow an enemy to rise up in your life. Now, is it God's will for someone to hate you? No, it's not God's will. Well, then why would God allow it? Because his goal is Christ-like conformity. Did Jesus have enemies? <laughs> he raises Lazarus from the dead. And the next few verses down from that, they're plotting to kill him and Lazarus both. They hated him. If God's goal is Christ in you, then you will also experience these same situations. God wants us to grow up spiritually, to be conformed to the image of his son. So God uses... And I love Warren's, how Warren put this in Purpose Driven Life. 
Warren says God uses trials. Trials come from God to teach us to trust him. So the trials that God allows in our lives are not fun. There's no one that can honestly in this room say, I really enjoy going through a good trial. It's tedious. It's, it's, it robs you of sleep. It, it has an opportunity to grieve you and cause you to fret and worry. But listen to this, this truth. God uses trials to teach us to trust Him. If we understand Romans 8, 28 and 29 is that we are conformed to the image of Christ through all things working together for that good, then we can understand why trials come because God is conforming Christ in us through the trial. Did you know there are certain things in your life that you would never achieve Christ's likeness without pain? Did Jesus experience pain? Did he experience emotional pain? Well, the shortest verse in the Bible says he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. The pain of Judas betraying him with a kiss in Gethsemane. I guarantee you that was painful for the Lord emotionally. Did Jesus experience physical pain? Come on. I mean the uh, scourging. If you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ, there's no doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ was tortured to an inch of his physical life even before the nails were put in his hands. Jesus experienced physical pain. God allows this pain. He allowed that pain in the life of his son. And here's the truth I want you to walk away with from that thought. That every problem, every trial, every pain has a purpose in my life. Every pain has a purpose, a divine purpose. God is not sadistic. He doesn't like to see his children hurt. But God allows pain to enter into our life, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical pain. He allows pain to enter to bring us to a Christ-like conformity in relation to the pain. So every pain has its purpose. Number two, God uses temptations to teach us to obey Him. God uses temptations. Now, temptations do not come from God, but He allows them. He allows Satan to tempt us. Temptations come from Satan in order to defeat us. Matthew chapter 4 tells us about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. The temptations came to Jesus Christ, and how did he overcome them? Oh yeah, he was Superman, remember? He was the Son of God, so no, he overcame them as a man. He quoted scripture. He did not defeat Satan by the power of his deity. He didn't call angels to come down and fight in his defense in the wilderness. Satan tempted him, and guess how he defeated Satan? The same way he taught us to defeat him, by the word of God. So Jesus Christ shows us and exemplifies the temptations of Satan that God actually uses those in order to teach us to obey him. And um, the Bible says that Jesus' sufferings uh, taught him obedience to God. So even Jesus learned in this realm of obedience to God. God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive people. Again, how can you learn to forgive someone unless someone has done something to you? So you see, the goal isn't God's not wanting you to hurt or get hurt. That's not his goal. 
The goal is that you respond to the pain with Christ. That you learn to forgive and be gracious to those who are not gracious and forgiving to you. Because that's Jesus. Jesus hanging on the cross. He looks down from the cross and says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. If it was Jack on the cross, I'd probably be, God, fry him in hell. Burn him, Lord. Let lightning fall, Lord. Jesus looks down on those who crucified him, who were gambling for his clothes, who stripped him naked, beat him half to death. He looks down, pulled his beard out, looks down and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, trespasses God allows into our life to give us opportunity to forgive or to exercise grace and forgiveness. When you're being criticized, when you're being betrayed. Anybody ever been betrayed? That's a, that's a nice feeling. If you've ever been betrayed, you know how that feels. Betrayed by a spouse, betrayed by a friend, betrayed by a co-worker. Was Jesus ever betrayed? Judas. If God's goal is to conform you to the image of his son, then there's going to be some betrayal probably in your life. And you're going to have to respond to that pain, submitting it to Jesus Christ. Being verbally abused. All these things cause pain. And why would God let that happen? Why would God let that happen? Doesn't God love me? Yes, he loves you. But his concern is not with your comfort. His concern is with your conformity to his son Christ. So the purpose of the pain is the conformity to Christ in us. When we get that truth and lock it in our hearts, it really helps us to understand why bad things happen in our life and to good people. God is bringing Christ out of those times. So when we're attacked, when we're criticized, when we're betrayed, when we're abused or verbally abused, Always remember, first of all, that God has forgiven me. Remember how much God has forgiven you. Secondly, remember that God is in control. I've told many people over the years, God taught me a truth. I don't know really where it came from. Hardly any of my truths are original. Probably not any. Uh, but this is a truth that came into my life. Uh, that you've got to learn to live in truth. You can't let other people define who you are. You've got to know who you are in Christ. So when someone criticizes you or verbally abuses you or hates you, trespasses against you, remember God's forgiven you. Remember to what extent God has forgiven you. Remember God is in control. And then remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. I want to end with Paul's... Uh, Thorn in the flesh. And I won't read the passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we all are pretty familiar with the passage about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And there's been many speculations as to what the thorn is. It really doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that God used the pain in Paul's life to teach him that God's grace was sufficient for his need. So even in Paul's thorn, even in Paul's pain, whatever the thorn was, 
God was actively at work growing Paul in dependence upon himself, just like Jesus would. Paul learned through the thorn in the flesh that God's grace was sufficient, that my strength, God's strength is made perfect, Paul said, in my weakness. And then Paul says something incredible. He said, I learned to glory in my infirmities. Who gets happy about being sick or weak? Paul said, I've learned to glory in my infirmities because when I am weak, finish it, he is. So Paul's illustration of this truth I'm trying to preach this morning is so evident in this thorn passage that even in Paul's pain, in fact, Paul says, I took it to the Lord three times to remove it. Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. But God didn't take it. God used it and taught the Apostle Paul that his grace was sufficient for his problem. You know, when we think about spiritual maturity, we think about trials and trespasses and the things that God allows into our life that we don't like. You know, God uses good things and bad things to grow us. Fruitland Bible College is an example of a good thing God has to grow you. Your pastor at your church is a good person that's helping you to grow in Christ. But we can't forget the bad people that God uses. The people who tend to get under our skin or push our buttons. God's allowing them in your life to conform you to the image of the Son. Because he wants you to grow up in Christ. He wants you to mature in him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your patience in my life. Lord, I know everyone in this room could probably say the same thing and pray the same thing. We thank you, God, for your long-suffering with us and your patience toward us. God, in this process of sanctification and in conforming us to the image of your Son. Now, Lord, I pray as we consider our own spiritual maturity... Help us to understand, Lord, that Jesus is the measuring rod. Jesus is the standard. So, Lord, when we line our life up next to Jesus, how do we stand? Are we growing in Him? Are our actions, our thoughts, our words controlled by Him and by the Spirit of God? Lord, have we stopped growing in Him? So, Lord, I pray by Your Spirit that You would convict our hearts, Lord, and drive us, Lord, to Your Word, which is the source of our life and our faith in You. Help us to learn to abide with Christ in His Word. Fulfill the teaching of John 15. To abide with You in Your Word, Lord, and to abide with You in prayer. Lord, I pray that we would do that. And God, that we would not just read your word, but that we would apply your word to our life and seek life change as a result of reading and applying your word. 
So, Lord, thank you for these few minutes we've had to consider this topic. And, Lord, I pray that you would do with it as you will in our lives and bring about encouragement and a desire for us to conform to Christ and to grow in him. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.